was working on Did It a Libido with Jan Sedekvist when I saw yeah. Jordan the first time. I remembered Jordan from the 90s when Maps of Meaning came out. And I just looked at the guy on YouTube and I just thought, yeah, of course a guy like that is the next superstar. Jordan Peterson, yeah, he's perfect for it. He's this university lecturer. He's really good at teaching. He's got a very thoughtful way of presenting himself. Very clever. Very, very sort of priestly fatherly figure too. Mm-hmm. Made a lot of sense, right? Yeah. So, and he took the struggle with the social justice warriors and they completely misunderstood him, which meant that he would win. Mm-hmm. He would definitely beat them, right? And, and he, he's never been pretentious. I love Jordan to bits and I love him precisely because he's never, too, he's never pretending to be anything he's not. Yeah, indeed, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, the way I reacted to it was that I told Peter, I worked with it, Peter at my office, I said to Peter, that's great because normally when you write a philosophical work, you hope somebody else is going to do the pop version of it. Uh-huh. Well, you you write, so, do you think Peterson is a pop version of you? In, in a sense? Yes, but he was there already before we published the book. Yeah. Okay. We had published Synthism, was causing a stir, and we were working on Did It the Libido. And suddenly Jordan was there, and I was just like, what we're going to write about in Did It the Libido, the mass infantilization of contemporary society, you know, the, the horrors of the welfare state and, and consumer society, and, and the big mistake we made with Hitler and Stalin, and, and you know, assuming what, what evil was and all that. All the nonsense we had the last 100 years, all the crap ideology we need to deal with and throw out and understand mm-hmm. how actually pathologically disoriented we are. All of that stuff, yeah, Jordan does that so well. He just does so well. He, he points exactly the same we're pointing, and he gets all the guys going. He gets them going on their own personal journeys towards understanding what we're doing. So when we really did it a little bit, it's just like, yeah, we're going to be the second wave. Yeah, we're going to be smaller. We're going to reach fewer people. We're going to need... We're going to reach the people who, who are interested in the real depth and the widening of Jordan's work. Like, where do we go next? You know, and then Jordan can work with that later. I hope when he's off the tour, gets to have some time of his own in Northern Canada in the cabin and start thinking again. Because I think Jordan can go back and really be a brilliant philosopher too. Not just an art historian, a psychologist. He definitely has the potential to be a philosopher. But I think he needs to take time off after all this popularity is over and done with. Yeah, I say to well, yeah I have that sense as well. Yeah, well, because I, I always enjoy listening to him, but I, once you've learned the, his spiel, right, you, you just you just you listen to it in different ways and so so it's it's becoming uh he's becoming a bit repetitive and uh yeah but, and, and, what he but, but that's, that's kind of normal because he's 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 like on tour all the time so it's like a it's like a rock band trying to play the same yeah. song over and over again and you can only say that even if you get on andrew sweeney's podcast or do a podcast with andrew sweeney that's better than any other podcast you'll ever do you still <laughs> talk to people you cannot really get to the depth you can get to in a text which is much more dense yeah. right so lectures podcasts, webcasts can only get to that far and you yeah. need to go to the books and i tell all the guys out that yeah you can read 12 rules for life it's the best self-help book probably ever written but at the end of the day, Maps of Meaning is this really profound work. That's the real Jordan. So in, you, want, you want the Maps of Meaning Jordan back after all this is over. Mm-hmm. And he could do great work. Essentially to me, it is this. There are three types of storytelling in the original tribe. There's the magical storytelling, which is that everything returns to the same. And that's what we remember from kindergarten. That's the stories you tell the kids. But it's also the true and honest story about the tribe itself. So it's both a story for grown-ups and for kids, but it's a story for grown-ups that tells you, you are born 
you, you manage to fool yourself into thinking you want to live, you get a libido. You see the parents around you or the older people around you when you're a kid, you want to be one of them. And one day you become a grown-up. you get the respect and the autonomy that goes with that. Then you get responsibility, which is wonderful. And you come back to the tribe and you deliver on that responsibility. Either you give birth to a child or you bring back an animal, you just hunt it, but you do contribute to the tribe, you get your own value. Then when you get older, you have less of an ego and suddenly you're more interested in what's gonna follow you and you start training the young. You become a mentor. One day you might even become an elderly if you're lucky enough because you lived a full life and your wisdom and your smile and your warm eyes, what everybody yeah. wants. Okay. And you just give back and you give back until you're completely exhausted and you don't feel you have anything to give back. And this new generation ready to take over even for you being an elderly. And that's when you die. And then you die hap happily. Yeah. yeah you well, you die having lived a whole life, yeah. not a perfect life, a whole life. This is Jung. Okay. So this is the magical story. Jordan does that really well. The mm -hmm. second story being told is the difference between the two different stories that are phallic. Remember I talked about, you got the king and the priest and they're separate. Yep. King and the sun god, well, no, the, the king and the rain god and you got the priest and the sun god, they're separate. We yep. keep patriarchy separate because we don't want the tyrant, okay? So one of them stands for truth. That's what Jordan tries to do himself. He says that yep. as a man, always stand up and speak the truth with integrity and with courage. Yep. That's what the priest has to do. The priest must speak the truth at all times, otherwise he's useless as a priest. That's his only masculinity. That is his masculinity, right? Mm -hmm. And he's got the monks and the other guys to support him in doing that. Then you got the chieftain and he leads by being true. That's mm -hmm. called truth as an act. He's true through his actions. He does the right thing. It's so like the extrovert and the introvert, if we're talking about young in a sense, a little bit. Yeah, you could, you could say that. You, you could, could say you that, could, absolutely. Could, you know, but, mm -hmm. but he leads, he, he leads forward. To me, it's Hegel and Nietzsche. You know, it's Hegel like, Nietzsche, okay. Hegel is the philosopher of the chieftain, Nietzsche is the philosopher of the priest in this sense. Or you could, you could throw them around, but actually that's what they do. So, uh -huh. you, you lead by example. You, it's called truth as an act in our work. You, you mm -hmm. act the truth. That's how you become truthful. Jordan speaks less about that, but maybe Bart and Sedeclis do even more so. So, but these are the two different truths, the phallic truth. That means we have to remember here that in the phallic realm, the grown-up realm, we have two different stories being told. One story is the purely factual one. Mm -hmm. That's what science is supposed to aim for. Mm -hmm. It's called Asha in Zoroastrianism. Okay. How things work. Meaning, when you go hunting, this is how you sharpen your weapons. These are the weapons you need. These are the weapons that are too heavy to carry, or these are the weapons that are perfectly heavy to carry. These are the ones that are too light, not very useful. You learn everything about materials. You learn everything about measurement. You learn everything you need to know. So that when your team goes out there, you've optimized your chances of success. Now, if you do warfare, even more so. You need a whole team. You need the drawing board. You need to know where your resources are. The guy who wins the world ultimate is the guy who knows exactly what he's doing. Mm -hmm. That's called factual reality. That means factuality is originally from the military. It was inherited by modern science and science should at least be preoccupied with that. That's one type of storytelling. Uh -huh. That's the storytelling story. of mathematics and footnotes, okay? Mm -hmm. But there's another story being told, which is the one that Jordan is preoccupied with. It's called mythology. Mm -hmm. Okay, where does mythology occur? Mythology occurs starting in the afternoon. Imagine you got the matriarch and the patriarch and the priest. They meet and they're very concerned because they know that if the tribe doesn't get moving tomorrow morning, they'll all die. 
Okay? Then the patriarch and the matriarch tells the priest, you need to tell the tribe that the Ur father has told the patriarch that he needs to get going and all the guys need to follow him. And then you need to tell them that the Ur mother has told the matriarch that she needs to push everybody ahead of her. And if they don't follow her orders and move, they will die. Mm -hmm. So you need to tell the story about the Urmotor and the Urfotter having told us this story. Mm -hmm. Now, this is the thing. As the priest, as the shaman who tells the story, after sundown and before the ground gets cold in the evening, that's when we do tabloid television. That's when we all get together and have it cozy at home. After 6 o'clock in the evening, we have an evening meal at 7 o'clock until 10 o'clock before we go to bed. This is the most crucial time of the day because this is the time of narrative. Mm -hmm. It's time of storytelling biologically pre-programmed in each one of us. In the tribes, this one, the priest steps forward by the fire and he tells a story. And this is the thing about his story. He's allowed to use any trick in the book mm -hmm. as long as it gets the desired effect, which is okay. that the tribe moves the next morning. Okay. The tribe that doesn't do this dies. The tribe that does this successfully survives. And after hundreds of thousands of years, we can be pretty sure that the selfish tribe wins, not the selfish gene. And the selfish tribe that wins is the one that has a formidable priest who tells a brilliant narrative in the evening, brilliant story, can be fantastic, fantastic, if you like. It can be anything. It can be Bibles, so, you know, weird stuff about dinosaurs and whales and everything. It doesn't, you, you don't care. This is the thing with mythology. Mythology is not ever to be interpreted literally. As a fundamentalist of all kinds are wrong. Mm -hmm. The point with Jordan is that this story can be any story, but it's the morality of the story. It's the effect of the story that counts. And it's a social, biological, evolutionary phenomenon. This is why the grand narrative is so important today. And the tough work we need to do, we need both the factual story about reality, which is science needs to get there, or we need to create new sciences to do the job for it. So what you're saying, if I could just and be really simplistic here, you're saying we need art and science, right? I mean, Yes. So what, I do, what I do is that I'm a philosopher. I work on grand narratives. I work on how you build them, yeah. what is necessary, how they're different from one another, what is the work we need to do. So I'm basically devising the priesthood, saying, okay, this is what you need to nail. This is the kind of story you need to tell at that moment. This is the factual story you tell the soldiers who leave the tribe in the morning. This is the mythological story you tell at seven o'clock in the evening. We must also now tell people they must not interfere and mix these two stories or they get totally confused and they lose it completely. Mm -hmm. So I rather work with young novelists and young artists and inspire them because they can do something different from what I do rather than just working with young philosophers who just compliment my work and add something to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense, right? And if you look at the guys around Jordan and the intellectual deep web now in North America and Europe, and the people popping up behind the dark web, they're all young guys, girls and guys who are interested in writing novels and doing computer games and doing art. And I just basically tell them, you're allowed to use any medium you like because it's three o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. But you need to understand that the there's overall a, there's a necessity celebrate the tribe and get it on the move tomorrow morning yeah you got to get your story out there sort of thing yeah and the and best example of a culture that does that is russia because in russia the novelists because of the Tsar, the philosophers couldn't speak freely and the novelists could then in a clever way speak as truthfully as the philosophers did that's exactly what jordan loves solzhenitsyn 
and he loves Tolstoy, he loves yeah. the Russian novelist, because Russia is a culture where the novel was more true than philosophy. Oh well, yeah, he says, he says it's more true than true, right? That's, yeah. that's Peterson's yeah. point, yeah. right? right? A good but, novel is like that. Mythology is, 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 is compressed truth, uh, also hidden truth. Or, or... It, it, it catches the attention of way more people than my damn philosophy books ever will. And I'm highly respectful of the novelist and highly respectful artist. That's exactly why philosophers are obsessed with novelists and they're obsessed with artists and they want to inspire art because art can reach more people in an emotional manner. But philosophy sets the rules. So in the, it seems like in the first half of your life, you were engaged in art. And now you're in the second half, you're engaged in philosophy, right? Well, which brings me back to archetype, you got a secondary archetype. That's that's okay. a that's kind of a Jungian thing, right? A bit, you know. We said, you know, the, you have the the morning of your life where you 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 experiment and and you do wild things and you 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 know you go in every direction, and then the last half of your life, you synthesize it, you you um you articulate what it all meant in some kind of a way, and and you uh, you. But we all know that when we turn forty, we get a last chance to completely change direction in our lives. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that yeah. means we have two archetypes. Yeah. As universal, happens with people who turn 40 everywhere. In most cultures, people live beyond 40, probably lived until they were 70. Yeah. Period between 40 and 70 is usually not when you get sick and die, okay? So why a sudden switch in a totally different direction? That means the vast majority of people have two archetypes. When you study college in Canada and America, you do a major and you do a minor, right? That's a clever way of putting it. The, the, the primary archetype is that which you do with ease that still mm -hmm. impresses other people. That you it, can communicate. Those, oh. mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just those things you just do. It's just like, yeah, it's the easiest thing in the world. Everybody else goes, wow, not for us. No, not mm -hmm. for the rest of us. No, fucking women that well. No, 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 no. You're a stud. You do better than us. Really? Yeah. Primary archetype. Okay. Reading books. Yeah, I can't help myself. I read books all the time. So what do you do in your spare time? I pick up a book. I pick up books. I read, 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 read. Primary archetype. Easiest mm -hmm. thing in the world for me to do. And then yeah. maybe I even write one one day. But I absorb text. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Primary archetype. For you, Andrew, you're great with microphones. You're great with cameras. You've got a warm curiosity. But you also learned from the very beginning, meaning having a conversation with you is a wonderful thing. Primary archetype. You're the perfect modern medium columnist journalist and whatever that medium expands you probably do well with it because it's your primary archetype you do it with such ease mm -hmm. okay secondary archetype those i'm not sure if i agree with that but <laughs> that i do it with oh, ease but the humility of an andrew sweeney yeah okay but you're brilliant okay so secondary archetype is that which you can do but it takes more of an effort and it often has a more theatrical feel to it mm -hmm. okay Secondary archetype is something that's useful because the guy who has the primary archetype might die and we need somebody to fill his role. We take somebody who has that as a secondary archetype, we put him in the church there. Secondary archetype is also communicating because it means you understand the guys that have that as their first archetype. Mm -hmm. So for example, you can be a woman in a room full of men, but you can be the woman who can communicate what the men are up to to the women successfully. Or you can be the gay guy who gets along well with the women and you can explain to the men for example as a couple <laughs> what the women are up to what women are up to right? so <laughs> right. get it. Okay, that's a secondary archetype meaning you're not you are a man you're not a woman but precisely because you're gay and you see the world through women's eyes you can successfully transfer that as knowledge to the tribe and to uh -huh. the stupid men out there okay so secondary archetype is often communicated 
uh-huh. has a theatrical quality to it. But if you're lucky in life, you probably get to explore both your primary and your secondary archetype. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you can do them in any order. So, um, so you're, so I did music between 23 and until six years ago, until I was 52. And that's your secondary archetype then? That was, I started my secondary archetype, knowing mm-hmm. I couldn't do philosophy until I was at least 40 years old, because it's yeah. just embarrassing if you debut young, right? So I did music for years, and by doing my secondary archetype and mm-hmm. becoming a successful music producer and artist and making music, I learned popular culture. I learned the world we live in. I learned media. I learned mass media and digital and the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. And I know how hard it is to be a good artist. I know how hard it is to be a successful artist. I have highest respect for artists. I love art. I love music. I love literature. I love all the different fields of art. I even did theater myself. Okay. Love them to bits. Yeah. But when I was 39, I got the chance to become a philosopher and wrote my first book. And I'll tell you what, it was kind of hard to, to understand first, but then I got it. This is my real element. Uh-huh. This is where I shine. Yeah. This is abstract thinking. That's my thing. And the, the release that, God, I'm lucky. I'm so fucking lucky. I had great parents, great upbringing and self-confidence. And I had these two talents when I was seven years old in my boys' room. One side was rock stars. The other side was philosophers. <laughs> they all had beards. This yeah. was the 1970s. I think that's a rare uh, coming together of two archetypes. Like, it's not often that the, the rock star is also a philosopher. I mean, that must be. Oh, but they should be more often, I guess. They should, be, they should be. Nietzsche's best friend they was Wagner be. for many years. And yeah, that's right. Oh, that's true. Nietzsche mm-hmm. and Wagner is the combo. It's the combo again. So, uh-huh. so no, philo- philosophy is an art form in itself. It's a literary art form. It's the opposite of poetry, but it's a literary art form. So, so, uh-huh. so that suited my mind. And, and I'll be honest with you, this is a dirty secret, okay? I'm not really good at anything else besides the two things. You know, I have uh-huh. no nine to five jobs, nothing. I understand that. Pretty dysfunctional, yeah. got a cleaning lady coming over, taking care of me. I love her. Uh, you know, I'm not pretty good at anything else except these two things. So they happen yeah. to be public. I, I, but, I'm, I'm, I'm barely functional myself. I, I just, I, I somehow managed to get by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Outside of those other passions that I have. Uh, you know, I'm involved with the men's movement in Europe and we're working in 14 countries and our common friend, David Fuller, he does the same thing in the UK with Rebel Wisdom, yeah. we same thing in Scandinavia with our network here. And it's incredibly rewarding to work with these young men who, who they, they usually found us through Jordan Peterson. They maybe heard me in a podcast somewhere. Suddenly they joined the movement and they're in. And yeah. teaching the guys archetypes is incredibly rewarding. Hmm. Teaching them the first archetype, second archetype, and then the original archetypes and compare them with possible modern archetypes. Right now we're developing modern archetypes. They might be professions, but might also be other meaningful, purposeful, purposeful things that men do. So it's, what we're aiming at is to give each guy an archetype that works for him. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that, give him some kind of contributive role. That, that, gives that seems like a great educational project, doesn't it? I mean. And they have to be involved themselves. We don't know the modern archetypes yet. We tell them, we don't know, we don't have the answers. Uh-huh. No, you have to develop this yourself. You have to work on it. And we don't know if we're gonna find an archetype that suits you, that gives you a contributive role. And we know for sure. If that, guys that, that really excites role, me, that, that excites me, that, that idea. Because, you know, I'm yeah. a teacher and I see all these kids, you know, all the time. And, uh, 
and they don't have a they don't know what their fucking role is they're so bloody lost it's just unbelievable yeah. right yeah and so so it's, if they had if they had archetypes to work with and if they could be conscious of that in, in some sense that would be real education wouldn't it well it's all called tribal mapping that's what i'm working with tribal if you read it a little bit of coming out of it that's going to be the big thing coming out of this book we are essentially formulating a whole new way of doing anthropological tribal anthropology based on data and facts and what we discover is that we got the inner circuit dominated by the women we got the outer circuit dominated by the men it's a matriarch and a patriarchy for lack of better words and and they're equal and they have different responsibilities and one of them pushes and one of them pulls okay it's it's um and they've got the androgynous in between we need them too yeah the problem is you got a lot of guys who we don't automatically find roles for today and yeah. this is the honest, brutal truth of the men's movement today. We cannot guarantee that we're going to find a contributive role for you as a young man. And if you don't find it yourself, even with our help, you're, you're probably going to go off and kill yourself at the end of the day. Because that's what men do if they don't find purpose. Yeah. At best, you find a really dominant woman who wants a toy boy. Yeah. And she can have the purpose. And you can sort of sail along with that. That's a you terrible know, Sometimes being the assistant of a powerful woman could be the only option you've got left. But do it then. For God's sake, find some kind of role on the overall tribal map of contemporary society. And your life's going to be full with purpose and meaning, and you'll be happy. If you don't find it, we know guys, when they become redundant, they start drinking and they hang themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. And one sign that there's a crisis in masculinity is that we're gonna have a huge male bipolarity epidemic over the next 10 years. Watch out for that one. Are we already there? I mean. Yeah, we're already there. Yeah. The best young men I work with all come to me and they already have the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And I tell them, you, you know, you're not sick at all. It's just a healthy reaction to a very unhealthy society and a pathological society where men in their masculinity are not being appreciated. And while the society is trying to castrate you and force you into yeah. some kind and it's, it's the opposite. of yeah, it's women and children, you need to get out of that quickly. You need to find your masculinity. Spend more time in nature. That's and this is the opposite message that everybody's receiving, isn't it? It's like, it's, exactly. it's the precise opposite that's true, I think. You know, yeah. That's the conclusion I came to, being a you know, sensitive new age guy, right? It's like, no, it's not that. It's, it's like, it's, that's, it's, that's, that's all a mistake, right? Yeah. First two advice I give these guys is that get out in nature, uh, build a tent somewhere, and hopefully live in Canada or Sweden. You've got lots of nature everywhere, and it's accessible to you. And just build a tent and bring your friends out there. Join a hunting club or something like that. You, you learn from the older men what it means to be man and go hunting. You'll discover you love yeah, it. Yeah, learning and, from older and, men. Yeah. And martial arts. Martial arts. Martial, I was thinking that as well. Martial arts. Martial arts. Oh, men should do martial arts all the time, I think. All of Because all the bipolar guys have physiological frustration. Yeah, it, it's always gym. this like, uh, it's like, you know. They're, yeah, they're, yeah. Because the guys have gone to the gym on their own. Yeah. And they think that if you touch another guy, you're homosexual. Yeah. No, you're not. No. You're yeah. Okay. Yeah. You need to be physical with other men. You need to go to martial arts club. And you need to get out of the loop where you go to the gym and you just work in front of a mirror, encouraging yeah. your own narcissism, no, no, you, Instagram picture and your you Tinder picture, I was doing using your body, being totally isolated. Being yeah. isolated in this way and trying to fuck the women all the time is going to make you a girl chaser. It's going to make you pathetic. The women are going to turn you down eventually. The men are not going to make friends with you. And you don't understand why you're a loser all of a sudden because you yeah. did the wrong thing from the very start. 
No, you need to collaborate with other guys. And the best way to do that, if you're physiologically stressed, is to go to martial arts club and learn martial arts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. Great start. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. So that's so, you put the guys now. While we work on the archetypes, and we'll see how successful we might be. We don't know. Mm -hmm. We don't know if we can find archetypes for the vast majority of guys or whether we can't. Mm 